Hello everyone, welcome to episode 62 of the Root Horror Podcast. Uh, got an awesome show for you today. I uh, got to ch- sit down and chat with Bobby Knipe Jr. about his upcoming mom and pop store documentary called Mom and Pop, the Indie Video Store Boom of the 1980s and 90s. Uh, we sit down and talk about the Indiegogo campaign that's happening right now with with the, the documentary and uh as well as uh some of our own stories about uh the mom and pop stores that, that we went to and uh you know we trail off talk about uh several horror films uh different topics uh within the horror genre so uh it's a fun time talking to uh bobby and uh I will have the link to the Indiegogo campaign in the description of this episode. So uh, check it out and uh, you know, hopefully you can donate uh, whatever you can to the campaign. I think this is going to be a fun documentary. It's going to be a really cool uh, documentary to watch and, and get some new insight from uh, people all over the place uh, who have worked in the mom and pop shops, uh, uh, directors, uh, movie producers who've had their films in mom and pop shops, uh, actors, uh, you name it. There's going to be tons of tons of uh, content in this documentary, and we'll get right into uh, talking about it uh, here very quickly. But uh, before that, I do want to mention just because. Uh, there's, there's a local event in the Quad Cities that's coming up uh, at the time of release this weekend, actually. So if you're uh, a day one listener from the Quad Cities area, uh, do not miss this event. Midwest Monster Fest presents Pop-Up Horror Market. that will happen uh, in East Moline, Illinois at the Rock Island County Fairgrounds this Saturday, May 22nd. The event will go on from noon to 7 p.m. There will be celebrities, vendors, artists, entertainment, and more. Uh, The celebrity appearances will include Walter Phelan, who played Dr. Satan in The House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, He's also been in From Dust Till Dawn, Wishmaster. And then we got uh, Robert Mukes, who plays RJ in A House of a Thousand Corpses. He's also been in Bone Tomahawk, Black Mask 2. And uh, an upcoming movie called Brain Hunter New Breed. And uh, the other celebrity we'll have is uh, Claire Fluff Lewiland, who's been on uh, The Exorcist TV show. She's also been in Hobo with the Trash Can, Bong Zombies, Leaf Blower Massacre 2, and several other ones. So, this is going to be a not to miss event, guys. If uh, you want more information, on the Midwest Monster Fest pop-up horror market, you can go to Midwest Monster Fest's social media, Facebook and Instagram at Midwest Monster Fest for more details. There's going to be tons of stuff. I think over 20 vendors, and uh, you know, just it's going to be a lot of activities for for you and your family to enjoy as well. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about them after the interview or you know more or less a conversation with bobby uh so yeah without further ado uh 
here is the conversation I had with Bobby Knipe. Hello, everybody. This is the Root Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus, and I'm here with filmmaker, producer, Bobby Knipe. Uh, what's up, man? Hey, man. What's up, Marcus? I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So uh, you have this uh, new campaign, uh, crowdfunding campaign for uh, Mom and Pop's video store documentary. And uh, you're also an executive producer for the VHS documentary, uh, Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, you know, so so uh, you haven't traveled far from like documentaries. Is like uh, documentaries like something that you're really fascinated about as far as, uh, you know, filmmaking and, and being a part of uh, films? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so like personally, in personal life, I love documentaries. I love watching them. Um, I'm somebody that I love to, when I'm into something, I love to learn more about it. I love to hear other people's opinions about it. Um, so when, back when Adjust Your Tracking came out, um, I was in the VHS community real big. I've been in the VHS community and the video community for, I mean, no joke, probably about 20 years. Um, way back before MySpace was even around, I'd get on message boards and we'd trade VHS. Um, but anyway, when they talked about Adjust Your Tracking, it was about, I'd say about 10, 11 years ago. Um, so a lot of the guys that were behind the documentary were people I, I knew and dealt with. Um, so it was obviously a topic that I was into and I was like, wow, I, I want to, you know, be a part of this. Um, so I donated to the campaign and, you know, I helped the executive produce it. Um, when, I, when it says executive producer, I'll be honest, I didn't really do much. Um, I, they came down, um, they interviewed me. Uh, we hung out for a while. Um, I gave some insight and some knowledge into the documentary and I gave some money. Um, so I guess I did help a little bit. It just sounds like a lot cooler than it actually was. Um, yeah, I did that. Went out to a convention in PA. Uh, it was called Severed. It was at the Sherman Theater. Um, it was one of the first big like VHS conventions that they did. Um, did a bunch of filming out there. And just, I mean, knowledge, man. Um, I just really like documentaries on my Universe Retro YouTube channel. I do a lot of like mini documentaries about subjects that, I, that I'm into. And I don't know. I noticed uh, there wasn't like a video store when, like, when it comes to mom and pop stuff. So I figured, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, the mom and pops. Uh, just uh, the topic is is pretty interesting because that's something that uh, I mean, I'm sure there might still be some around, but it's really um, it's almost like a thing of the past in a way. You know, like you don't really see a whole lot of those in. At, the, at a time, they were just kind of everywhere, and people could just yeah. go in and, and rent movies, and uh, you know they they would be in different areas, like they'd be at like gas stations, grocery stores, um, you know, just this little hole in the wall kind of places. And uh, yep, it, yeah. it, it's wild, man. Like um, not to not to cut you off there or anything, but they, they were in a lot of weird places. Um, and one thing, like it was just, it was just normal thing back in the day. You'd walk into a gas station, they rent videos, uh, grocery stores are renting videos. What's cool that we didn't think about at the time is why, why were they renting videos? Um, a lot of times gas stations would rent videos because they either a would be able to circumvent that, that, that income to allow other things 
um, if they needed a little bit of boost in income, uh, say they were their profits were 20% lower, they could pop tapes in there. Um, they wouldn't a lot of times even use a distributor. They would go to Walmart or whatever and buy the tapes for 20 bucks, 30 bucks and put them out on the shelf. Um, that, and we've actually came across some things where uh, we don't want to mention names. We probably want the documentary, but money laundering. Um, some of the tanning places that you would always see were a kind of front. Some stores were fronts and they would need to launder that money. And what better way than just throw some tapes out there and say, oh yeah, we used all this money to buy tapes, etc." Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was crazy. Um, and then at one point, grocery stores actually became one of the biggest video rental stores. Um, and what they did, they would come out and be what they called loss leaders. So they would purposely lower the cost of rentals extremely low, sometimes 49 cent, 99 cent a night, just to get people into the store to buy other more profitable items. Um, so it, it was a, it was a wild time. Yeah, for sure. And, and that makes sense with, uh, you know, getting people in there to, you know, just, just to get in there and they, they rent a movie, obviously they have to bring it back. So they're back in the store to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while they're there, maybe they'll pick up, you know, bag of chips, candy, uh, you know, whatever. And then maybe rent another movie. And, uh, Oh yeah. The, the one, uh, the one grocery store actually in the, the town I live in, it's, it's still a family owned restaurant, not restaurant. Uh, it's still a family owned, uh, grocery store. But at the time, uh, when I was a kid, it was Dave foods and, uh, it, you know, they had a, a big wall full of movie rentals and they also had a big gumball machine and on it, uh, they had a, a little sign that says, if you get a pink gumball, you get a free movie rental. So, oh yeah, you know, like this, a little gimmick, things like that. Like it would get me every time as a kid, I was like, man, I gotta, you know, you know spend this 50 cents on trying to get a free movie rental. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and same thing here. Um, I mean, I'm in North Carolina, so we're not really close to each other, but it's crazy when I hear stories from other people and their video stores. Um, and they're like, Oh, I remember this memory. We have a lot of the same memories. It's crazy because there's a store called mega video, um, really large independent video store down here. Um, there's only one location, but they had a gumball machine. And if you got the white gumball with the blue star on it, it was a free rental. So, so same promotion, um, states away, which is wild. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, another story, uh, you know, speaking about gas stations, I remember uh, one time, I, I don't know how old I was, maybe like eight or nine, but uh, went down there, they had an end cap of like, uh, you know, VHS tapes. And, you know, you have your Jerry Maguire's and, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't even know what else, Gladiator, maybe stuff like that. But then there's also <laughs> Carnosaur, too. And uh, for my birthday one time, uh, I was like, well, I'm going to rent a movie and, you know, we'll watch it at my birthday party. And I seen Carnosaur, too. And, <laughs> and the, the box cover, I think, like, one of the words on it said something about was special effects from Jurassic Park. So I'm like, okay, this has got to be good. <laughs> and we watch it, and I don't even think half the kids there paid attention. Like, man, that, you know, at the time, it was like, so I'm like, man, this isn't like Jurassic Park. <laughs> but years later, I kind of go back to these movies and I kind of appreciate them a little more. 
but you know, as a yep. kid, you're you're wanting, I don't know, <laughs> when, when, when yeah, you no. see like Jurassic Park on there, like you know, from the special effects of Jurassic Park, you're you're hoping for, you know, close to what Jurassic Park had. Yep, absolutely. And one of the things that I've told people when we're talking about this documentary, um, you know. Are we going to be talking just about like these obscure horror movies or these straight to video horror movies? Um, we're not going to be talking about just just horror movies because if, if you remember, like a lot of people want to talk about all oh, straight to video rare horror movies from the video store, blah blah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, but really, if you think about it, those weren't the movies we were we were renting. We're into them now, but back then we were renting. I mean, people were renting Titanic. People were renting Jerry Maguire. You know, they had. Guaranteed in stock VHS. Those were the big rentals. Nobody was caring about those cheap tapes. Right. Um, you know, so we're we're not just going to, you know, people, I was renting Back to the Future, E.T., stuff like that. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I rented horror movies, but that wasn't, like, the bread and butter that a lot of people talk about nowadays. That are. Um, but, yeah, like, in you were saying Carnosaur 2, it's supposed to be, like, Jurassic Park. That was really the straight-to-video market coming in with their own, like, mockbusters um, that we see now from, like, Asylum and stuff. Um, they'd be like, oh, Jurassic Park's big. Cool. Roger Corman's like, I'm going to send out Carnosaur. You know, right. to, to kind of build on that success, and it worked. Yep. Yep. And in, in the, the box art was key back then because that was, that was their advertisement for the movie. So mm-hmm. they would try to do anything to get you to pick up this movie and watch it. And, you know, when you, if you throw in, like, well, we had maybe a couple guys that worked on Jurassic Park, what's, what's really advertised that because, you know, people gravitate towards that because Jurassic Park was such a huge movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, the cover art was it because this was pre-boom, internet boom, you know, internet success. So the only way you found out about a movie or chose a movie was either word of mouth Maybe you saw a trailer on another tape or the box art. Nine times out of ten, it's the box art. Um, you're going down this aisle, um, and what's cool is a lot of people have their memory of every time I went to the video store, it's like I, I went to the horror section, I saw a new tape. Um, it's because, like, you know, we didn't have the internet to build us up on things. So when we were in there, these things were being seen for the first time. Um, and the way they would catch you and say, hey, Ren, our movie is the box art. So a lot of the times they would put scenes on the front that aren't even in the movie. Um, a lot of straight-to-video companies would pay bigger celebrities, um, executive producers, directors, just give them a, hey, can we just put your name on our box? And they didn't actually have anything to do with the movie. Um, you saw the rise of like getting popular like horror actors to appear in your movie just for a few seconds so that you could put it like, I know at one point, you know, you had like Robert England in Wishmaster. You know, you had Robert England in Urban Legend. Um, and it was writing that success of Freddy Krueger. You know, hey, let's pop him in here. People see his name. They like Freddy. They weren't this one. Right. And it worked. Yeah, people, absolutely. People were renting them because they seen the big names on it, even though they only had maybe five seconds of screen time, you know, per se. And were hardly in the movie at all, but just because they made a brief appearance, you know, they they really wanted to uh, advertise the movie, saying, "Like, hey, he's in this movie." Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, pick yeah. Up. I mean, the video store scene, yeah, the video store scene. I mean, sure, the the movie scene too, but more so the video store scene made celebrities back then. Um, 
you know, now nowadays the direct to DVD scene and stuff like that, you don't see the same kind of celebrities as you did back then. Um, when a movie came out, a guy that's just in VHS tapes straight to video stuff could be like a star. You know, you had, you know, action stars that were only in straight to video movies that got huge household names that it was just from going to the video store and renting all these people's movies, you know? Right. So like uh, for, you know, may maybe the younger generation that never got to experience the mom and pop uh, culture, uh, what, 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 what can you say that explains what a mom and pop store is as far as like the video rental stuff goes? Yeah. So basically what a mom and pop store is, uh, um, a mom and pop store is, is just what it says. Mom and pop, usually owned by a husband and wife, a mom and dad, um, just like a local community location. Um, sometimes they would have a few locations. More times than not, it would just be one location um, that they own, family business. Um, you know, and it, it really dug into the community. You would go into these places. You would know the people. You might go to school with their kids. You might go to church with them. You see them in the community, you know, um, just local, independent, you know, people, you know, location. Um, instead of these large corporate entities that there were some around at the time, but, you know, more so prevalent now. Um, it was more of a local, independent community. You felt a sense of ownership when you went into these locations. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these places, I mean, they, they would be in, you know, the bigger cities as well, but they were kind of like everywhere though. Like you could even go to a small town and there might be one there. And, Oh yeah. And, you know, I, I think, I think they got some success in smaller towns too, because, you know, not a lot of people are going to travel to the cities just to rent a movie, uh, you know, and, in you know, for living in a small town, I think you have a better chance at getting any movie you want because, uh, you know, uh, you know, smaller communities, you have a better chance of like, you know, picking the exact movie you want because the chances of someone else renting it might be slim, slimmer than, uh, oh, yeah, you know, but, um, speaking back of like Dave Foods, uh, which is a place I rented a lot of movies. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I uh, was fortunate enough they even had like some wrestling pay-per-views. And you oh, know, yeah. back, back then, wrestling pay-per-views weren't cheap. Um, and I, I remember one uh, distinctly, uh, it was a WWE, well, WWF at the time, but it, I want to say it was one of those uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-views um and i i could be wrong but i i know for a fact uh the rappers icp were in the pay-per-view like they were they were doing a rap and okay then... so it's probably wcw well i i want to say it was wwf because i think the headbangers came in and tried to fight them ah okay Unless... maybe maybe yeah but and I, I want to say it was St. Valentine's Day Massacre, one of them, because they only did a couple pay-per-views, I think, of those. Um, yeah. But ICP, have... they, were they with, uh, they were with the oddities, I think, at one point now in the WWF, with uh, like the guy that had like the South Park shirt and stuff like that, like that group. Yeah. Of I think at one point ICP was with them, so that might have been what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I want to have to go back and actually find which one it is. Like for some reason, I want to say St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but that might be, that might be wrong, but it definitely was in that 1997, 98 era of of wrestling before they went to uh, WWE. But I, I thought that was really weird though, that, that they were in it. But I mean, at the same time, uh, you know, everyone knew who they were. They were kind of like a big, a big uh, underground hit at the time. Like <laughs> they were, they were, they were like edgy. You know, people talked about them being edgy. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, and and uh, WWE hasn't trailed far from that at all. I mean, we just saw a backlash where they brought in the the freaking zombies to promote Army of the Dead. <laughs> I've like, seen I've seen something on a news article about that. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're actually going through with this." Because they did promos in the back, you know, in the in the uh, behind the stages or whatever little promos they do, and uh-huh. you know, all of a sudden there's a zombie lumberjack match, and all these zombies are surrounding the ring <laughs> while the guys are fighting. <laughs> I'm like, "You gotta be kidding it's me!" It's wild, man. Didn't one of the wrestlers supposedly quote unquote like get eaten or killed or something in the match? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the Miz, uh, the Miz got it. But uh, wow. first, I don't know. Like as as silly as it is, I kind of hope that uh, they continue that storyline where like the Miz and Morrison are zombies. For a while you know uh, I, I'm all for it I you know my when I watched wrestling the most um when I was younger it was like there was crazy characters there was like doink and dink and you know you had like just like crazy characters like Kane and Undertaker and like these stories that were obviously not realistic um but they made them fun when they went to a really more realistic style they kind of lost me so yeah I'm all for it I mean as a kid I saw them as superheroes you know they weren't regular people so yeah, right. bring it on, man. Bring the crazy storylines. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what you know that that's part of what's what's wrong with WWE is they're they're getting more to a serious tone that it seemed like. And it's like, you know, make make it fun again, you know, make it goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what we you know, what I really liked about like the attitude era was anything could have happened. And yeah, that's you know, true. You know, uh, Vince McMahon was was the biggest heel and one of the greatest heels of all time. Oh, yeah, he was great. When he made that transition from doing straight commentary to being like the bad boss guy, it was great, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like that's what wrestling's missing is. Is, uh, you know, those hot storylines like that that just. I don't know. It's they 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 had magic in a bottle at some point and they I, I don't know it, it's hard to recapture that. But it is. But but yeah, so you know, back to <laughs> I guess we could trail <laughs> back to like the mom and pop stuff. Um so so with your uh your campaign, you're trying to fund uh the mom and pop store documentary. What can you tell mm-hmm. us about the campaign? Yeah, so the campaign is being held on Indiegogo. Um, straight off the bat, I'm, I, I'll just say I, I hate crowdfunding. Um, I think it's a great tool, but me personally, I hate asking people for money. 
Like I, I absolutely hate it. Um, but unfortunately it's kind of like when you get to higher projects that require a little bit of mo more money and stuff like that, um, it's a necessity, you know? So I tried to make a lot of perks so that people can get stuff in return. And, and, you know, I tell people, Hey, don't just donate your money, like grab something, you know, like get a DVD, a VHS, uh, a record, something like that. Cause those are all perks that we have. Um, I want somebody to get something for their money. I don't want them to just give me money. Um, but, you know, we've had people just give me money, which is great. And I do appreciate it because, I mean, honestly, when somebody gives you the money that they earned um, because they believe in a project and believe that you can, can do it, it, it's a great feeling, man. Um, so we're doing the Indiegogo. Our base, our base uh, budget is $5,500. Um, when I was planning out the budget with my assistant director, Cagney Larkin, I kind of planned like for this and this and this, and we were able to cut a lot of the budget down because we were originally going to need about, about 8,000 and the majority of that being our travel costs, um, because we're going about, about half, half of the United States. Honestly, we're going to go up North and go over and go all the way over toward Iowa and stuff like that. And I'm based in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were able to cut it down a lot by, you know, saying, hey, we're all going to pile in his car. We're going to, you know, try to get the cheapest hotels or crash with people when we can, you know, just to kind of make that money stretch and do the most we can with it. Um, so we're doing 5500 for our base budget. Um, we are currently at 65% and we're five days in, which is amazing. Um, so it's looking like we're on the right path uh, to hitting that goal. We have a few stretch goals. Um, if we get past that 5,500 of things that, you know, the campaign won't stop when you hit the goal. It's still going to go the full 30 days. Um, so if people donate past that and we get more money, um, some things we're going to add on. Um, right now, we're currently going to go with our current 5,500 budget. We're going to go up to New York, New Jersey area, um, hit Trauma Studios, try to get with Lloyd Kaufman, uh, get some, you know, insight from him. We're going over through Michigan, Ohio. Illinois, um, we're hitting Flashback Weekend in Chicago, Illinois. Talk to some celebrities there and be at that convention to talk to people about their love of the video store. Um, there's a guy that you or the listeners might have heard of that went viral a while back about uh, during quarantine, he built a fully functioning video rental store in his basement, uh, modeled after 80s and 90s. Um, he was on Jimmy Kimmel and um, he was on you know, Viral on TikTok and New York Post uh, did an article. Oh, wow. So we're going there. Yeah, yeah. It, it got really big. Um, so we're going to his house. We're actually going to go down to the video store and check it out, you know, see what he did, talk to him about why he did it. Um, so those are some of the big ones. We got a few other big things we're going to hit, but in between, we're going to be hitting video stores, shut down video stores, owners, um, people that just went to the video store, interviewing them the whole way. We're going to be going for about a week. And um, if we get our, if we get past our goal, and we hit some of our stretch goals. One of our stretch goals is actually to fly out to L.A. and talk with Charles Band um, about his, you know, direct-to-video stuff um, on Full Moon and even further back with Wizard Video. Um, and then hit some of the, the older video stores out there in, um, in Los Angeles, California, where actually one of the first video stores in the United States was made in 1976. So that's wow. a stretch goal. Yeah, there's a lot to it, so... Hopefully we earn a ton of money and we can do all the stuff we want to do, but you know, we'll see what happens. Right on, right on. Yeah, man. I I'm, I'm stoked uh, for you guys to, to make this documentary. It sounds really awesome. And I, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It sounds fun. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. As much as like, I know, I know it's a lot of work to do, but at the same time, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun just to make this documentary. Oh, it will be. And I'm, I'm somebody that kind of strives. I, I agree, man. Um, and one of the cool things we're going to do is a lot of the people we've talked to were like, told us some really good stories about, Hey, I met my wife at the video store. You know, I would go to the video store when we were in high school. She worked behind the counter. I was nervous to talk to her. So the way I would talk to her is by renting videos. And I ran it and watched a lot of movies that I would have never watched just because I needed something to talk to her. So they would go rent. Um, and that's how the video store, they got married. Um, wow. You know, and, yeah, it's crazy. And then I've met people that said, you know, me and my dad never talked. We never had any memories together, really. We never bonded. But the video store is where we bonded. You know, we would go rent a video. He'd talk. He loved talking about movies. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get these people and we're going to take them back to these video stores, um, whether they're open or closed or whatever. We're going to literally interview them in front of these video stores where they shared these memories. So it's kind of like bringing the two back together. So it's going to be some great stories. Wow. Yeah, man, that that's, that's very cool. And, and, you know, like I said, I can't wait to, to watch it and, uh, and I'll, I'll most likely make a, a small donation uh, soon as well to contribute to the, to the campaign cool man I, I appreciate it and i tell everybody like don't feel obligated to donate money like you know with covid hopefully coming to an end now covid kind of hit people hard uh, i really hate asking people for money after all that happened you know um, so i mean if people can't donate that's totally cool if they just share the link or just tell somebody about it and that that like sends it out to more people and helps so much yeah for sure man for sure and you know like uh for me i i kind of enjoy donating to to some of these uh indie projects passion projects because uh you know with with uh projects like like this and like uh you know indie horror films that are one to get made like there, there's a lot of heart and passion into these projects they're not big uh corporations you know throwing millions of dollars into you know into the film getting made they're, they're hardworking people uh, that, that really love what they're doing. They're trying to make something, you know, like yourself. Uh, that's what I like to donate my money to. And also, you know, it gives me gratification of being a part of something in some shape or way, you know, maybe seeing my name in special thanks or, uh, you know, just knowing that I donated some to help get the movie made. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's almost a self gratification thing in a way in a I don't know in a quirky way I guess I don't know. yeah I, I completely agree um, you know I've backed many projects you know um, and some of the projects you know I, I love them all that's why I, I donate um, I felt like there was a good story or idea or I like the people behind it or, or whatever um, so I've did that um, one of the things that I've did in the past that I, I want to do better this time is uh i've donated to projects where i donated the money and then it was funded and then i literally never heard anything about it until a year later it's finished and i'm like oh yeah i donated to that um we don't want to do that like we don't want you guys to even forget about us so what we're going to do is it, we're going to make a page as soon as we're fully funded on facebook and every day we're out we're taking behind the scenes photos uh we're going live we're like showing you guys every step of the way what we're doing um, and bringing you guys part of it. Yeah, it, it's going to be great. So when we're on our road trips, 
you know, we're live in the car, like, hey, here's where we're headed, you know, so almost like a, a documentary following it along the way as well. So um, I think if people invest their money, I think that's the least we can do is take them along with us and let them enjoy the ride as well. Very cool, man. Well, yeah, I, I'm stoked to uh, to see what's in store on on your guys' journey. Should be a lot. Me of fun. too. Me too, man. It, it's uh, yeah. It, it honestly, it's going to be just as much as a surprise for us as it will for like, you know, you guys because you know we'll know the basics like, hey, this person worked at this store, and we're going to go interview them. But you know, with a documentary, when you start talking to people and they start opening up, things come out that we don't expect. So who knows where we end up? You know, it's just going to be pretty nuts. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of, a lot of great insights on, uh, on the mom and pop stuff. And, you know, even like the direct to video, uh, conversation, mm -hmm. you might get a lot of insight on that that maybe not a lot of people know. So. Exactly. That, that's what we're hoping. Um, if you go to the Indiegogo page, you can actually look, um, at all the people that we have confirmed so far to be, be in it. Um, and we've got everybody from um, first time directors that went out and sold the tapes to the video stores themselves, um, actual distributors that went down the East Coast and would take their catalogs and you know, do distribution deals, licensing deals. Um, we've got actors that, that had their movies in stores and what their reactions were like when they went in the video store, their local video store and seen their movie there um, all the way, you know, down to, you know, people that ran the stores. You know, we've got a whole gamut of of different perspectives um, on the video store. Right on, man. Yeah. I, uh, I, I keep, I keep uh, gravitating towards back to uh, Dave's foods. It's now called Wheatland grocery, <laughs> but uh, okay. They, they're still around. Like, I mean, they don't have VHSs in the store, but they do have a rack of DVDs that you can rent. And uh, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of people rent from there because of, you know, it's easy to stream movies and stuff like that, like that. And they don't really have like new, new releases, like, you know, brand new releases, but right. uh, you know, they, they do have a selection. So if anybody does want to rent a movie, um, <laughs> I still have my video rental card from back in the day. It's somewhere around here. But, uh, <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, speaking of video rental cards, I've, I've actually, I don't know if you ever heard of weird Paul, uh, but Weird Paul has like a YouTube channel. Um, he's got like over 50,000 subscribers. He's actually got a documentary made about him. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, he's got one of the largest collections of uh, independent video store membership cards. Um, so oh, wow. he's somebody we're going to be talking with. We're going to be looking at the video cards. Um, he's been renting. He's a little bit older than, than us. Um, he's been renting for video stores since 1985. So the dude's got a ton of knowledge, a ton of merchandise. Um, so he's going to be showing that off. Um, and another thing I want to say is um, when I talk about this project, we 100% are not just talking about VHS. I don't want people to think you have to be in the VHS to like this. Um, our, our main goal of the project is to follow the history of the video store from the beginning to the end as told by the people that lived. Um, and, you know, when VHS died out, the video stores kept going with DVD. So we're going to continue that until the end when streaming kind of came out um and also cover like video games because that every experience that you can have at the video store is going to be encompassed in this project not just one aspect right right yeah do you remember uh i don't know if, if you had any better, uh video rental stores that uh you know like the mom and pop stores uh 
you know, I'm going back to like, you know, Dave foods is kind of the big one for me, but at one <laughs> point they had, uh, um, they didn't have the actual tapes on the shelves, but they had like little lanyards of pictures of the movies. <laughs> and say, I got, I, I know what you're talking about. And like the local, the local store that I went to was just the gas station. Um, they did it, but the, in the most country redneck way you can think of. Um, so underneath the box, they had a little nail hammered into a piece of wood, and it had a round circle tag with a number on it. You would take that, that tag off the nail, take it to the register, and the tapes are behind. They would go to number 141 or whatever it is hang that on the nail that's there and give you the tapes. So we didn't even get limited pitches. <laughs> wow. Yeah, th th that one might have mine beat. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, still, tell me yours. I want to hear yours. <laughs> yeah, so, like, uh, you know, at, at one point, there would be, uh, you know, like, just, like, a little section of, like, not even, like, towards, towards an end cap, but still in an aisle. But there would just be, like, a board with, like, a bunch of lanyards, and it would have... Uh, you know, like uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies would be on there. Like Freddy's Dead would be one that, that pops out to me or like Silence of the Lambs. Like I was always intrigued by uh, the lady with the moth in her mouth uh, mm -hmm. photo of Silence of the Lambs. And I always wanted to rent that, but uh, I don't know. My mom's like, oh, you don't want to watch that or, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but, and then, you know, finally I did get that movie and, I absolutely love Silence of the Lambs. It's, it's a great movie uh, series. You know, even Hannibal is pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. I actually I actually seen Silence of the Lambs at the drive-in theater um, when I was really, really little. Uh, my parents went to the drive-in theater, and I went with them. And um, they were doing a double showing of Child's Play 3 and Silence of the Lambs. And I seen that when I was – I mean, I was probably seven years old or something. Wow. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Dude, dude, Child's Play three. I I love that uh, the soundtrack to that one. That it really, really would kind of give me some chills of just like that fast pace with the, you know, kind of like like the bass hits uh, in that song. Uh, I think it's like the ending credits song, maybe. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Child's Play three, man. As a kid, that was one of my favorite ones because. Um, I was as a kid, I liked seeing other kids that I could identify with. So the fact that they were in like a military academy and it was all kids, I was like, oh, I can identify with this. Uh, same way I could identify with like the Goonies or Stand By Me or Monster Squad. You know, that was always like something I really liked. And when there was mm -hmm. like kids involved, it, I, it, you know, I could identify with it more. And I was like, oh, I dig this. So Child's Play 3, honestly, it may be my favorite child's play, to be honest with you. Like I, I watched it so much. Yeah, it it when you have like more or less the kids involved. I mean, sure, there you know there were adults that got killed in the movie, but mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a different level of fear because it is you know because you're seeing uh, you know the the younger kids' perspective as far as going through this torment and uh, it, you know and seeing what they will do. In, in those situations oh absolutely and i mean even like that's like kids in horror movies is one of the to me one of the most terrifying 
uh, aspects as a film because you know if you're a kid watching it you're thinking oh my gosh this could happen to me you know and then if you're an adult watching it you're almost in that uh, maternal or paternal instinct especially if you have kids you're like wow i would hate to see if that happened to my kid you know so it's it can definitely hit two different age groups just as hard for different reasons all right dude perfect example is uh pet cemetery oh without a doubt yeah without a doubt you know as as a kid and i think i brought this up before but i mean it's such it's a perfect example um like as a kid you know you you really like the movie because you know there's some some gruesome kills and and you know and whatnot but as a as a parent when you're older it's like this movie's really terrifying because I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, going through, uh, you know, what that family went through. Uh, so it's, it's weird how like, it's like an on and off switch perspective of like, you know, how mm-hmm. can turn I around, completely. Uh, com- you know, completely uh, when you're in, uh, you know, different stages of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. <laughs> but, but yeah, man. Uh, you, you got any more wild stories about mom and pop video stores or is that something you want? Um, I've got, off? so with, with the documentary, it's literally not going to be my story. I want it to be everybody else's. So I don't mind telling all the stories in the world. Um, I was actually on another podcast last night um, and shared this story. So I'll share it with you too. Cause it's, it's honestly one of the most pivotal, in my opinion, pivotal stories that has to do with me of maybe why I'm into videos and into the video store history and stuff so much. Um, so a little bit of backstory, my mom was 16 when she got pregnant with me. So she was like super young. Um, she didn't really know how to be a mom at all. She didn't really have anybody to show her. Um, so when I was about, about five years old, I lived in Lancaster, South Carolina and small town. I mean, it's a little bit bigger now, but at the time, small town. Um, and she would, it's horrible parenting, horrible parenting. I just gonna go ahead and say it, but my mom was about 21 at that point. Her and my aunt would want to go out to a bar and, and drink, you know, and this was 1989, 1990. Um, across from the bar, which was called the Silver Bullet, there was a little video store, a little tiny video store. And um, a teenage boy, I remember working at the counter, worked there. She would take me over there to the video store, drop me off and give that kid five bucks to just not let me leave the store until they got done across the road. Like, horrible. So this, I mean, this happened multiple times. For hours at a time, you know, um, and what I would do is I would just walk up and down the aisles, you know, and just look at the tapes um, there. I remember there being a little TV behind the counter and any tape I brought off the shelf, he would just let me put in and I would sit on the counter and just watch whatever. Um, hmm. This was periods of like four hours a night, you know, so some people might look like that's horrible. That's horrible parenting. I'm not even going to lie. Horrible parenting. Consider it child abuse, probably. But the way I look at it is. It honestly didn't even affect me, fortunately, uh, you know, in, in a bad way. Um, I just remember those times at the video store, and that's one of the earliest memories I have of being at the video store. Um, and I looked at it as not as like a traumatic experience, but as a, hey, you know, it, it really it was a formulative time in my life. Yeah. And, so not and, necessarily a funny story, but uh, interesting, I guess. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh and you know, I'm sure you got a lot. You got to watch a lot of cool movies. You probably wouldn't be able to, maybe, uh, able to watch. You know, 
don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I got to watch. Like, my mom was young. She didn't know any better. She let me watch whatever. Like, I literally could watch whatever. Um, she didn't let me watch sex or nudity, but, like, violence and gore and stuff like that. Like, whatever. I remember my aunts and uncles uh, getting upset and saying, you don't need to let him watch that. But I never had nightmares about that or anything, really. Um, I wasn't somebody that woke up in the middle of the night scared to death, you know, like some kids do, which is fine. But it just never fazed me like that. I always, I remember always knowing it wasn't real. You know, um, <laughs> I just, I knew it was acting. It never really bothered me. I didn't really think there was gonna be you know a monster in the closet or whatever like i don't i don't remember ever thinking that um so mom let me watch whatever um and you know i watched them at a really young age and i don't think that's for every kid but for me it, it was fine uh you know i remember for example uh cannibal camp out i was like eight years old when i watched that my mom literally picked it up and was like hey let's rent this and i was like okay you know, so we watched Cannibal Camp Out, you know, like, wow. I was like eight, so literally there was no filter. I could watch anything I wanted to, but it's funny how people divide violence and sex, you know, and nudity. Um, she was adamant, no nudity whatsoever. She'll turn the movie right off if there's boobs that popped out, or you she'd know. make me cut, you know, cover my eyes or whatever. But if a guy's getting his head chopped out and his guts eaten, like, that was okay. Oh, that's fine. You know, <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's funny. Uh, that you brought up like the whole nudity thing because like at my house that was kind of a big thing too like you know i couldn't watch that stuff obviously you know if i'm i'm under you know 10 years old like seven to ten watching horror movies and, and you know boobs pop on the screen it's like cover your eyes or oh, know, yeah. it was always funny to see like that shock reaction on my parents because like oh they actually showed that like, <laughs> like <laughs> my kids watching this like oh yeah and you probably did the Oh yeah, you probably did the same thing. Like cover your eyes, and you did the whole thing where you kept a couple fingers yeah, open, so you kind, kind of yeah, peek peek through the fingers. <laughs> you know, I oh I, yeah, <laughs> you know it, man. I know, I, I know. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, you know, this isn't like video store stuff, but like uh, it was either like Cinemax or HBO, one of the two, and they had like some uh, some type of Western movie, but they had like. Uh, Oh, what, what do you call uh, the 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 ladies that were prostitutes? I, I, there was a certain name for them back in the day, but uh, gotcha. like uh, like the brothel and stuff like that. Yeah, like, it was kind of like a brothel. Like, yeah, and uh, it was like some kind of western movie because that's what uh, what my stepdad likes watching, and it's got you know some some pretty good looking ladies in it, and they take this kid upstairs and. And she's like, you got any money? And he's like, well, I got my paycheck. And she's like, that's good enough. And she starts getting naked. And my dad's like, cover your eyes, boys. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's like, we cover our eyes. And, you know, I, I do the the peak, you know, like, you know, to the thing, you know, the cracks. So I was trying oh, yeah. to make it, make it seem like my eyes are closed. But really, there, there was a, a, a big enough crack in my fingers where I could see what was going on. And to this oh, yeah. day, I don't even know what the movie's called, but I I remember that scene. It's funny because, like, I guarantee you, ninety nine percent of all of us have had that, have did that. Um, you know, nobody taught us to do that, but somehow instinctively, we all did that. Um, and that that's something that's going to be fun about the movie is bringing up these stories, going, "Wow, I did that. I didn't know anybody else did that." Or, 
my video store did that. I didn't know that. It, it's crazy how similar we all were um, during the, those times and didn't even know it. Right. And, and what's fun to point out is a mom and pop store was not a corporation like Blockbuster, Family Video. Like they were their own store. So every mom and pop store could could run their video section in in a different way. Like Oh, yeah. But, and a lot of times you would see completely different movies because there was a ton of lower budget movies uh, like the one I mentioned, Cannibal Camp Out, uh, Killing Spree, Lunch Meat, stuff like that. That, that was never carried in the large ones. Like they didn't have distribution deals, and that's how Blockbuster um, and some of the other bigger ones did it. If it didn't have a distribution deal, they didn't have it. So you would go in and you would see a hard section, the independent store, for example, and you would see movies like, wow, I never even knew this existed if you never went into a mom and pop, you know? Right. Yeah, and that's, that's what's so cool about it is, is uh, you know, like, say like you know certain certain parts of the country when you have uh these indie filmmakers that put their movies in really the really the people that are from the area will will get those movies it was probably really rare for you know say like brad sykes movie to be way across the country when he's making some of his films or like oh yeah well, or, exactly like a, like a funny story um that i didn't know about until i started doing a little bit more research is Say, for instance, uh, this director, and I don't want to mention his name because this story is going to be in the movie, uh, but this director that I talked to, low-budget indie director, at the time made his movie in Florida. So everything was him, him and one of the stars of the movie put all their copies of the tapes that they made themselves, inserts they printed themselves uh, in the back of the car. They left from Florida hitting every independent video store on their way up. Um, they sold most of their stock on the way up. Um, so when they were coming back, you know, a few here and there hit. So the majority of this person's movies were like you were saying around where it was filmed in Florida, um, you know, Georgia, but then it got really rare up in Maine. You'd never see those movies because their stock was sold by then. Um, so unless that movie didn't sell and they managed to get a copy up there, you never, if you were up there, you'd never even heard of that movie. You never even knew it existed. So the, the local independent store really was like a regional kind of thing. You could go into different places around the United States and see completely new movies you never heard of ever. Uh, right. Um, and, you know, it was pre-internet, so you couldn't even get on the internet and see it. So that's why a lot of these lower-budget indie movies are so rare, because they were only in certain parts of the country. You never knew about it, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, that's what's kind of cool about it. but. At the same time, it's like, man, I, I wish I would have watched that when I was younger. You know, like it's, it's exactly kind of a double-edged sword kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I I think that's fascinating to to you know to to hear about. There's a lot of directors out there that you know now with the internet and stuff, uh, things are more accessible to watch. But just kind of hearing their story about them kind of starting out and, and pretty much doing self-promotion. I mean, I'm sure it was rare to, to, I mean, maybe not get a hold of the trauma, but some of these other bigger ones, uh, companies to, to distribute their films. Uh, but you know, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear about, uh, what Lloyd's got to say about trauma. Cause 
I'm sure he's got some some pretty awesome stories. I, I agree, man. Um, the guy, so he's been in other documentaries. He was in for a second in the last blockbuster, and he hates blockbuster. He loves independent video stores because honestly, that's what put Trump on the map. Uh, was these video stores because um, their movies weren't really in theaters. You know, maybe you drive in every once in a while, but they made their movie. They got popular, got household name recognition from the independent video stores. So I can't wait to hear what he has to say about it. You know, hear some of the stories he had because he was right there, man. You know, when the video store boom took off. So the stories yeah. he's has going to be insane. Uh, um, one cool story that we, we're going to have that I've kind of talked to the guy about uh a guy and his actor, it's a different than the other one, uh, went to go bring in their movie. Um, they would pop it in and let people watch it So and see if they want it. So they were staying in town for the night. They dropped one of the tapes off to the local store owner. Um, come back the next day, the police were there. And the person watched the tape and thought it was real. Like oh, thought shit. they really killed somebody and these people were crazy. So the, they had to sit down with the police, watch this movie, Show the inaccuracies and prove that they didn't actually. And then the, the owner called him a pervert and kicked him out of the store and didn't buy their movie. So <laughs> that's the kind of things they had to deal with, which is you're going to hear that story. It sounds a lot better when it's coming from them, trust me. But you'll be able to hear their quirks and talk about the time they were run out of town by the police and the video store owner for being perverts. Oh, man. You know, see, like that that's kind of an uh, interesting topic, too, is like, uh, controversial movies that were in video stores. Um, oh guys, yeah, there was there was a ton of them. Yep. Will, will you guys uh, maybe talk about some of some of the controversial stories too? Or um, yeah, we actually uh, a buddy of mine, I'm, and I'll drop his name. Uh, you might know him, Danny Hollifield, who does Hobo Wolfman Records. Um, he went to a local video store uh, when he was a kid and rented a movie. I don't remember what movie it was, but he went back home and was watching it. His mom called him and she got mad and she went to the video store and the news came out and did a report about like them renting uh, controversial movies to minors and stuff like that. And we're trying to track down the actual original news story now um, oh, about wow. that, which is going to be amazing. Yeah. I told Danny, we got to get his mom on somehow to talk <laughs> about it, you know? Right. But, um, but yeah, so so we'll have that. Um, and kind of on the same topic of controversial, uh, one of the biggest things that people don't know is we wouldn't have independent video stores. We wouldn't have VCRs, really, if it wasn't for the porn industry. Um, you know, mm -hmm. pornography was the highest selling, you know, reason behind why so many VCRs were, were invented, why tapes were invented. You know, like um, a lot of the big boxes you've seen were distributed from pornographic companies they use their box their big box that's why you see so many porn boxes that are big boxes and mm -hmm. you know the cheap horror movies they use the same boxes same printer um but a lot of times if a store come in and they're like oh we're just a pornographic store we just have pornographic films the local government wouldn't allow that unless they had so many regular films too so they would just buy cheap crappy you know horror movies or companies like magnum entertainment who also did porn would say you know, here's $25,000. Go make some crappy horror movies so that we can still sell the porn. You know, so they would yeah. have a row of horror movies and then all porn, you know, just so that legally they could have a porn store in that, that town. Um, so a lot of the popular independent horror movies that people talk about today were literally not made because of like, it was a good idea for a movie, but made just so that it could have something on the shelf so they could sell porn. Wow. Uh, that makes a lot of sense yeah. now. <laughs> Cause some of those, it, it's wild, man. 
some of those, it's like, why was this movie made? But, you know, you're yeah. in something like it, that. It was made for that. <laughs> um, and a lot of times, some of those movies were basically porn anyway without penetration. You know, so it's like they uh-huh. use the same actors. Um, a lot of times you'll see back in the day, early movies like low budget, either those actresses were from porn or they went to porn or vice versa um, because a lot of the directors did porn on the side. Um, they just kind of used the same cast, crew, stuff like that. And it was just a money thing. Like they didn't really care about that horror movie. They just needed one so that they could do the porn. Right. Yeah. You know, like uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, but you know, like, uh, Ginger Lynn and like Tracy Lords, mm-hmm. like they they were kind of like in bigger movies, but I mean they did do they were yeah they did do some like indie like I guess more or less like Ginger Lynn did some indie movies too, but um you know like like Vice Academy strikes strikes me like as like a bigger movie because you got like Linnea Quigley in there and. uh it oh yeah, still, and I mean with Tracy Lords, level. you had like out of this earth. Yeah, yep. I mean what they did. I think you you talked to uh, talked to him about not of this earth, right? Didn't you have yeah. him on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. I had Jim Wynarski on, and and he pretty much told me the story on like how we got Tracy Lords on there because you know she there was some backlash with uh, not only backlash but you know it was a, a hot topic at the time of you know finding out Tracy was underage when she did her. Yep her porn movies, but, uh, and then she was actually like in hiding because there was like a porno mafia after her, I guess, which I can't believe, uh, it is yeah. wild to hear big, that there big, was actually big a money, big, dude. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of money involved with, with the porn industry. So they weren't happy yep. with what was, you know, coming out on the news and whatnot. So it, it took him a while, but he actually, tracked her down and you know and he tells the whole story about it i don't know if you've listened but it's pretty I interesting i did yeah jim jim's super super great guy um i actually contacted him about being in our documentary uh, that's actually one of our later stretch goals because he you know a lot of these celebrities a lot of these people will be in our documentary for free it don't matter some people you got to pay jim is somebody that is going to require us to pay um right. I, and i'll just tell you I, th- I don't think it's any hiding like Jim's fee is a thousand dollars. So if we want Jim in our movie, we gotta come up with a thousand dollar stretch goal to have Jim in our movie. Um, dude's got a ton of information. Will be a great asset to the movie. Um, it's just a matter of if we can afford that in the budget, you know. Right. Yeah. I I've talked to to Jim about uh making like an appearance at like our local con, and I think you know he <laughs> he he's a thousand dollar kind of guy. He's like, yep, just give me a thousand. That, that's his number. <laughs> that's his number yeah <laughs> i was like all right you know yeah. and really realistically that that's it's not too bad for you know someone like him who's made like you know over 150 movies and and some classics oh yeah chopping mall um, yeah he, he's a name that especially if you're into video stores if you're into the genre he, he's a name he's a draw you know so i mean right. i don't think it's i don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility from a charge one thousand at all, I think that's fair. Um, you know, for who he is, right? And, and you know, he he's a, a a pretty big Corman staple, I'll say, because you know he mm-hmm. he really he really kind of boosted uh, Corman's films in the eighties. I think, you know, like, I agree. No, I agree. They um, 
you know, the, the stuff he was able to do with Corman. Yeah. I mean, you know, cause Corman's always been schlocky, but he kind of elevated that a little bit where it actually wasn't so bad, you know? Right. Right. And, you know, it, you know, like I, I know that we can appreciate Corman's films, but like, you know, for like, uh, uh, the average audience, you know, they probably just were eye rolling at some of the, the some of Corman's stuff, uh, prior to the eighties, but oh, I'm uh, sure of it. Yeah. But you know, like when movies like chopping mall came, came about, like it kind of, kind of tuned you in where it's like, all right, this ain't, this isn't too bad. Like this, this is pretty good. Um, yeah. They, I mean, and, and kind of the bring up chopping mall and combine it with something we talked about earlier. Another movie from the video store that the cover is very misleading. Yes. And the name, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> Right. Well, I think there wasn't the original title going to be Killbots. Killbots. Yep. Like I think it was released. Was it released overseas as Killbots? I want to say it was. Uh, I'm. I'm not sure. It. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, Killbots, man. It's. Uh, I've seen that title before. Yeah, I, I think. I think it was an overseas title, um, which it definitely makes a hell of a lot more sense than Chopping Wall. It does, but but I will give the name Chopping Mall credit because it is it is a cool title name. But it's hey, just, man, it makes people pick up that tape when they see that front art and that Chopping Mall. I mean, and people are gonna rent it. Yeah, and and that's that's another thing that was awesome about uh, some of those covers and like you know tapes at the stores is their taglines. And uh, yep. I always thought Jim had some pretty. Uh, pretty clever taglines in his films yeah i mean yeah if you if you could come up with a good cover art especially something gory uh in a good tagline that was going to get your movie picked up off the shelf right because if you got something clever enough it's like okay this movie's probably gonna be pretty good i'm gonna pick it up and and watch it and and either most of the time it probably wasn't that great or you know it's or it could just been your style and it's like, all right, this movie's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Uh, what uh, you know, talking about mom and pop stores. Uh, what were some of your favorites that uh, you know, movies that that you like to rent that you that were maybe like regular rents for you? Like you loved the movie so much, you maybe rented it multiple times. Yeah, um, so one that I, I definitely remember was Friday the 13th Part 5. That's still to this day my favorite Friday the 13th. Um, I rented it so much that it, my parents ended up buying it for me when it went on sale. Um, so I rented that a ton. Um, I loved renting um, what's it called? Howling Part 6, the one that's like werewolf versus vampire, the freaks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I rented yeah. that one a ton. Um, there was, it's not a movie, but I used to go to a Kroger grocery store not far from where I lived. Um, and the show Monsters, they used to have two, two episodes on tape. Um, and I used to rent that. I used to rent episodes of Monsters, like, a lot. Um, wow. Like, I mean, the same ones over and over. I, I love that show to this day. I still love it. But um, I would always rent that. Um, I'd rent episodes of Tales from the Crypt uh, on VHS a whole lot. Um, I think Dream Warriors. I rented Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors a lot, too, because that was, like, one of my favorites as a kid. Um, so I, I read a lot of stuff, but 
Like those were some of the ones that I repeat rented and I watched a whole lot. For sure, for sure. Uh, one one for me was uh, Starship Troopers. I, I oh yeah, Starship movie. Troopers. I remember uh, staying up late to watch Starship Troopers, and my parents went on the bed, and I remember that shower scene came on, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> as a kid, I was like, "Whoa, my parents are asleep!" All right. So <laughs> I didn't I didn't have to cover my eyes for that one. Well, well, for me, uh, that that was like the perfect movie for me to to see, uh, you know, naked ladies <laughs> because the yeah. cover art, you know, I I told him, I mom. You know, it was rated R, but I was like, Mom, it's just like it's an action bug killing movie. And I didn't tell her about the nudity. Yeah. And so she that, was like, Okay. Yeah. You know. Looking at the cover, like you're saying, it, yeah, it looks like a straight up action movie. Like it doesn't look like any kind of exploitative movie or anything that, you know, happens to Right. Yeah. So that was kind of like my way of getting away with seeing stuff I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> but yeah, and I think uh what was the other one? Leprechaun four with the uh the alien princess. Oh yeah, Lady. Leprechaun in space. <laughs> she she had a scene, you know, uh, a topless scene too. And as a kid I was like, oh this is awesome. And then yeah, Leprechaun <laughs> three for me where they go to Vegas and they have the strippers. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's so. It, oh man, I I do like that scene a lot. It's it's funny because it's like, all right, you got a beautiful lady is naked, and all of a sudden she turns into a robot. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that movie's wild, man. I'll tell you that, that. That's one I watched a lot back in the day. Right, probably and, my favorite Leprechaun actually is Part Three. Yeah, Leprechaun Three is is probably the best one. Um. <laughs> I I do like part four as well, not not as much as part three, but there were some aspects that I did like of four. I know it it gets you know I wouldn't say shit on a lot, but it it's one that not a lot of people find as like their favorite. Um, right. But you know there was some I think you know just because I I watched it at a young age from the video store. Uh, it was just you know. I, I always just loved the character of the leprechaun, just his funny, quirky uh, comments that he would make uh, or puns or whatever. Uh, it's just he was he was a cool character, and uh, and some of the the kills and those movies were creative. Oh yeah, it was it was a fun one around you know, they come out around that time. Yeah, and I I was honored to get Brian Trenchard Smith on my podcast. And we kind of mostly talked about exploitation films and just because mm-hmm. I had so many people on the podcast, it was hard to, to ask all the questions I wanted to ask them. But I, afterwards I had messaged him and like, and said like, Hey, we didn't really get to talk about like the leprechaun movies and like night of the demons too. I was like, is there any way you could mm-hmm. maybe come back on and we can talk about the horror stuff? And he said, you know, absolutely. So at some point I'll, I'll get him back on and talk more of like the horror side of his career. And, uh, Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, uh, you know, you know, talking about like leprechaun movies, like those, the ones that he made were, were some of my favorite ones. 
and uh and then night of the demons too geez like that one's yeah i love it it's up there with the first one for me honestly yeah yeah i was gonna say uh you know something similar like now the demons the original is you know that's the original that's the blueprint like that's the best one but oh yeah but uh, part two man like that's close like i when i watched it i was like it expanded the mythology, dude. Like, that's what I like. Like, it, it took what the original had. You know, in the first part of Night of the Demons 2, even, he is kind of like a rehashing of the first one um, until they leave with the with the lipstick, you know, and then they just expand that mythology more, which I think is great for any sequel is to take the original and then build upon it. Yeah, exactly. And some of those movies that were made back then, they they didn't really follow that formula. Like, you know, the second one could be a completely different movie than oh, the yeah. first oh, one. Yeah. And, and so it kind of took like, I want to say the magic out of it, but it was kind of like uh, almost a wet down. Cause it's like, you wanted to kind of see, you know, the story continue rather than it being something completely different. But, you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, completely. It's, I, I agree. Uh, it is. It's all about money for the most part uh, with most, most of the movies, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, man, uh, is there uh, anything else that, that you would like to talk about or is there anything else that you'd like uh, the listeners to, to know about? Uh, just if you, if you ever experienced, you know, the video stores growing up, whether it be in the VHS times or the DVD times or even on the video game side, or just enjoyed going into your, you know, local video store. Um, our project is just to keep it alive, you know, because if nobody talks about this and nobody documents it, it's just going to be forgotten. Um, my kids, our kids' kids are not even going to know some of the crazy stories that happened at the video store. Um, so, you know, our goal is to just document the history of the video stores from the beginning to the end. Like I said earlier, told by the people that lived it, whether it be distributors, filmmakers, owners, stuff like that. Um, the project is obviously gonna gonna evolve and grow into bigger and bigger things, you know. And, and we can't wait. We're excited. Check out the Indiegogo. Check me out on Universe Retro. I got links to all the stuff. Um, but yeah, if you can donate, awesome. If not, that's cool. Just give it a share. But uh, yeah, thank you for letting me plug it on here and talk about it. Yeah, man, dude, my pleasure. Uh, it's always fun to uh, talk about. Uh, the, the video era or like straight to video era and and you know the mom and pop story is is a good story and it's it's a story that or you know an era of of uh, movie renting that you know is swind- is dying pretty quickly and won't be around forever but it's fun to be able to <clears throat> hear everyone's story that did live during that time frame and and you know can tell newer generations about the mom and pop stories because it's like you know nowadays we have streaming it's so easy to watch a movie but these kids nowadays or the future uh generations don't realize that our our internet web browsing was walking down aisles looking at movie covers like (laughs) Instead of Absolutely. scrolling on a screen, Absolutely. you know, uh, we actually had to walk into a store and, and look at the wall and, and find a movie to watch. 
I agree, man. Yeah, it was a it was a different time for sure. I think that I think that putting in that legwork of having to look, find a movie, hope that it's good when you take it home because you know once you got it, that's your movie. You know, my mom would be out pick out a movie. So like there was a hundred videos. I'm like, dang, I got to make this count because one tape, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you put in the work, and then when you found something really good, you tell your friends about it. You know, like oh, I love it. You know, and it actually. You felt like you accomplished something. Um, it was a lot more. I think that's why we value our, our generation anyway. Um, value movies more because it's not like we could just put it in, watch a little bit. All oh, this sucks, you know. And streaming just back out and start another movie. Like you had to watch that movie through. You know, sometimes you'd watch it multiple times. So I think that's one reason why we value movies more, why, why we appreciate them more, and why we got such a fondness for them. I agree, and you know. To, to add on to, to this, like it even gave us something to talk about because, you know, we had to, to go out and rent a movie that cost money that, you know, not a lot of people maybe had because, you know, watching a movie was kind of a luxury thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, once you watch the movie, it gave you something to talk about with your friends, either at school or, uh, or you know, wh- wherever whether the movie was good or bad, you'd always talk about maybe the good things of a bad movie and like, Oh yep. yeah, you should check this out. Cause it's the killer does this or that, or, you know, it, it gave us something to talk about with our friends. I, I agree. And, and like what now a lot of people, especially kids will probably think it's crazy, but go into the video store with like, say your friend comes over on a Friday night, you guys go to the video store and you get pizza. Like that's like when, now, I was a kid, that was like top. Like, that was like, if my parents told me that was happening, I'd flip out, I'd be so bummed. Um, right. That combined with, you know, a lot of times for 90% of us probably, uh, we would have a family movie night where we would go and get a movie and watch it together as a family. And like, that doesn't happen nowadays. You know, it just, it just doesn't happen. Um, right. So it, it definitely, it, it's, it's a memory, a fond memory for a lot of us for multiple reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it, I have to, I have to twist my arm and my leg just to try to get a family movie night. Like it, it rarely happens because hey, you and <laughs> you and me both. But you know, and I think it's, I, I do think it's because kids are so used to. I can start a movie anytime. I can pause it anytime. I can rent anytime. But back then, you had to like get the get everybody together, get in the car, drive to the store, take the time to pick out a movie, drive all the way back. You know, like you you put more effort into it, so you were rewarded more. Um, so I, I think personally, that's my opinion of why, you know, we appreciated it more. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, hey, Bobby, man, thank you so much for coming on here. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Like I said, thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Well, that was a conversation that I had with Bobby about Mom and Pop, the indie video store boom of the 80s and 90s. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the content. And, uh, you know, like I said before, uh, you can find the link to the Indiegogo campaign for the Mom and Pop Shop documentary uh, in the description of this episode. Um, or you can just go to Indiegogo.com and search for Mom and Pop the indie video store boom of the 80s 90s the goal right now has gotten to 75 percent of their goal so 
Uh, there's quite a bit accomplished so far uh, with 23 days left. So, you know, if, if you're really interested in uh, wanting to back the campaign, uh, there's still time to. And uh, even if it has uh, met its goal, keep donating because uh, there's going to be some stretch goals with, uh, you know, tons of uh, cool surprises along the way. So don't be discouraged to, to not donate if, if the goal has already been met. Uh, you know, the Root Horror Podcast will, will make a donation. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage you guys to donate as well. I think this is going to be an awesome movie culture-esque documentary. It's, it's going to be really cool to, to check out and uh, see what they come up with. I think it's it's going to blow people's minds that uh, are cinephiles, so to speak, and, and possibly learn new things that you've never learned before or heard of. So definitely keep in mind about this documentary, guys. And uh, if you want to keep up with uh, what Bobby and his team are doing, uh, go to facebook.com forward slash universe retro follow them he puts up good content all the time and uh and even the mom and pop uh the indie video store boom of the 80s 90s has their own facebook page so go follow them on facebook and keep up to date uh like like bobby had mentioned uh they'll be doing like live updates and uh behind the scenes stuff all the time so you know give them a follow and uh and you know if that's something you're interested in uh yeah it should be fun so yeah thank you again bobby for coming to the show it's it's always fun having you on here and, and talking about horror movies and uh and movies cinema in general so uh i'm sure you'll be back on the show at some point maybe with matt awkward or something we'll we'll try to come up with another uh topic to discuss maybe one of these days <laughs> um but yeah uh back to uh i want to mention midwest monster fest presents pop-up horror market in the east moline illinois at the rock island county fairgrounds this saturday may 22nd uh again um i, I do want to mention that uh trash bag ghost graphic content will be there um they have the official merch for Sid Wilson from Slipknot there. Uh, they'll be having some kick-ass art and also uh, you can grab limited autographed Sid Wilson prints that he signed just for Midwest Monster Fest Papa Poor Market. So it's another uh, cool thing to uh, entice people to try to make it out there because there's going to be all kinds of awesome stuff and uh trash bag ghost and sid wilson donated some items for prizes for the creepy carnival games so uh yeah i i think that's really awesome so if that doesn't get you uh to uh want to come i don't know what will and uh if you're into some barbecue bone collector barbecue and catering will be there so don't be discouraged that uh, you don't think there's going to be anything to eat there because there's going to be awesome food there, uh, including some good old barbecue. So definitely uh, show up there hungry because uh, there's going to be some some great food. And also, 
Wake Brewing in Rock Island, Illinois will be holding the after party for the Midwest Monster Fest Horror Pop-Up Market. So, you know, if you don't want the party to end, it doesn't have to. Just go over to uh, Wake Brewing. They have delicious beer waiting for you and uh, hang out with, with cool people and just have a good time. So, uh, that's about all that I have for you guys. Um, I just want to mention, uh, you can find me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at root horror podcast, uh, on Twitter at root horror pod. Um, you can also find like my website, YouTube channel, uh, everything like that at linktree.com forward slash root horror podcast. Uh, and that gives you links to everything. And uh, also want to mention, uh, if you guys want to be a supporter of the podcast, uh, there is a support link in my link tree. Uh, I, you know, encourage you guys to maybe donate to the Root Horror Podcast because, you know, we really appreciate it. And, uh, and you know, a little bit of support goes a long way helping the show. So, uh you know, there's always that option as well. And, uh, I do appreciate, uh, the people that are supporters already. Uh, I greatly appreciate your support and in the support of the future, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, with that said, uh, I got, I got some great episodes lined up for you. Some get some more guests and, uh, then also the zombie three, and the Toxic Avenger episodes are still coming. Uh, it, it's been a hectic couple weeks for me, so uh, apologize for uh, for not putting those out in a timely manner, like I was hoping to. But uh, shit happens, and uh, you know I got a great episode for you guys today. Hopefully, you guys dug it, and uh, yeah. So, you know, more great content coming in the future. So, uh, hope you all stick around. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next one. The Root Horror Podcast would like to thank Pit Lord and Evil Dead Beats for providing music to the show. <laughs>